Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Daniel 11, 1 through 4, 20 through 22, and 32 through 37. And as for me in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. And then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule the great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his prosperity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Now moving to verse 20. Then shall rise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom of flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. Now, um, 32 through 37. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to, join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Natalie. Well, there's lots of crazy and confusing stuff here in our text this morning, and we won't be reading every single verse in this chapter, but there's a lot to uh, jump into, a lot we can learn from. But before we do, I just want to uh, thank our missionary friends. Thank you for being here today. Uh, you guys are my heroes. Uh, you are respected physicians in our area, and you could easily be uh, gaining extra wealth and prominence and lots of things and establishing yourself, uh, but you're choosing to leave that to go and use the gifts that God has given you uh, to share Christ. And I'm so grateful for your example. I'm so grateful that we get to be partnered with you, uh, both financially and in prayer. And I look forward to hearing what God is going to do through you 
uh, in Bangladesh. So thanks so much uh, for being here with us this morning. Well, uh, as we, uh, as you, as Natalie read this text this morning, you're probably wondering what in the world are we doing in the last three chapters of Daniel in, in December? Like we should be doing some nice fun Christmas message, right? We should be in the beginning of Luke or in the beginning of John. This is totally not anything that I've ever experienced before uh, in a local church in December. Well, there's a reason that we are here, not just that we've been in Daniel and we need to finish before the end of the year, but Daniel is in the midst of a time that should have been a time of rejoicing, but yet there's this crazy dream he has, and it's a time where he's sobered, as we learned from last week. Obviously, he was grieving for three weeks of time because of this vision that he had. We may be in this time that you would normally expect to be just kind of warm and fuzzy, like we're approaching Christmas. It should be all this fun stuff, but yet we're also in the midst of uncertainty. I'm not just talking about a virus that has been affecting us and affecting the world. I'm talking about the reality as we look into the future for us as Christians living in this country, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And what do we do? How do we respond when we look at that? And I think as we come to Daniel chapter 11, that God has some things to share with us, things that we can glean that will give us faith so that we can stand firm and take action in the midst of what we're walking through or what we will walk through. Again, a little bit of background You know, where we are in the narrative of the story, uh, what we learned from the beginning of chapter 10 is that Cyrus is king in Persia. Remember in the first year, so this was kind of in the third year of his reign. In the first year of his reign, he sent people back to Jerusalem, sent people from uh, Israel to go back to build the temple again. That's what We've been waiting for. That's what Daniel's been waiting for for 70 years to go back. And he sent them back to start to rebuild. So you'd think this would be the time of rejoicing. But what we don't learn from Daniel and what we learn from the book of Ezra is at this point in time, the people of God faced great opposition from their enemies all around them. They were rebuilding there came opposition. And so there was a halting to their work. And rather than pressing through in this time, they kind of had a maintenance lifestyle. I'm just going to wait until the next thing moves on. This glorious optimism that they would have had, okay, the the temple's finally going to get rebuilt. We've been waiting for this for 70 years. All of that has gone by the wayside and faded and discouragement and despair had set in. I don't know if you've felt that at all in this season of time, discouragement and despair. One commentator, Dr. Ian Duguid, said this. He said, if your Christian life moves daily from triumph to triumph as you effortlessly grow in your knowledge of God and your victory over sin, then you can probably skip this chapter. However, if you know what it is to struggle and fail, 
when you attempt to do what God has told you to do so that you find yourself wondering why you should ever bother to try again, then this chapter is designed for you. If you ever wonder where God is in your life and how to make sense of the gap between his glorious promises of a new and triumphant experience of blessing on the one hand and the grinding difficulty and discouragement of your daily life on the other, then read on. So that's where we find ourselves this morning because as we look to the future, it does look unclear, but we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be worrying, but it can cause fear. It can cause anxiety, but that is where Daniel was as he looked to the future. It was unclear for him. And even as this dream that he has, this prophecy that kind of comes through him of what's going to happen, it's, it doesn't get all wrapped up in a bow like, oh, it's really nice. Oh, I've, I've got this picture and it helps me to know what's around the corner. In fact, it doesn't seem like there's an around the corner. It just seems like if you were to read through the whole thing, it's just hardship after hardship after hardship. So the goal of Understanding this isn't so that we can understand all the details. Well, do, do these things show up in the newspaper that we read right now or any of that? No, the goal is to understand that there's a God who's sovereign over all things and he calls us to stand firm and he calls us to continue to take action for him. So what will help us is, is to learn about God. What truths can we learn about God? that he's revealed for us in this text of Scripture. Well, the first truth is this. Kingdoms rise and fall, but God knows the big picture. Kingdoms rise and fall, but God knows the big picture. If we look back again at verses 3 and 4, it says, Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. And we see this happening again and again and again in this vision. Kingdoms arise, they become strong, and then they're broken. And then there's another description of another kingdom that arises. They become strong and then they're broken. And then there's another one that arises where there's a really strong king and it's broken. So don't be surprised when you see kingdoms arise. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians when kingdoms arise or when unrighteous rulers rise because they do. That's the cycle. We see them rise. But no kingdom that we see with our eyes is going to continue. There's only one kingdom that will. That's why we're celebrating Advent. We're looking toward the, the time when we're celebrating when Jesus came, and now we're looking towards the time when he's going to come again and establish that kingdom. We're not there yet. So know that kingdoms will rise and they will fall. And God is not surprised by what is going on. Now, what's amazing about this is the specificity of 
what Daniel saw to what has actually happened. Because as we come to this text, there's a number of the things that are talked about here that have already happened. But for Daniel, none of them had happened yet. So he's, he's getting a picture into the future of these events, and we're actually looking back in the past at a number of these things that have already happened. Let me just highlight a couple of them. Look at verse 2. It says this, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. From biblical and secular histories, we know this to be Xerxes. And another king will arise who will be even greater and he will soon be broken, and his empire will be divided into four portions. We know these predictions to be about Alexander the Great, who conquered much, died young, and had his empire divided among four generals. So a specific prophecy, specific fulfillment that happened. Look at verse 17. It says, He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom. And he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Daniel says that, that a northern king will try to arrange peace, trying to get his daughter to marry a southern king. But in verse 17 says it doesn't work. The secular histories tell us a Syrian king tried to get his daughter to seduce the boy king of Egypt who was 10 years old so that the north could control the south through her. So she's going to marry the younger king so she can manipulate things to have, have things happen through her. And it didn't work as Daniel predicted it didn't work because she fell in love with the boy and turned against her father. Specific prophecy, specific fulfillment. And then as read as in, in verse 21 and verse 31, we won't go there. Daniel predicts a contemptible person who shall obtain his kingdom by flatteries. He will profane the temple, take away the regular burnt offering, and set up the abomination that makes desolate. We know this to be Antiochus Epiphanes who invaded Israel, profaned the temple by putting a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. He took away the burnt offerings. He put a pig on the altar. He did other abominations. Specific prophecy, specific fulfillment. Why do we take the time to go through all of that? This dream was so specific that historians try to say that it was written after these events took place. In fact, historians look at this and go, no, there's absolutely no way this could have been written beforehand. This covers too many specific things that have actually happened. So no, it didn't, it didn't happen. He didn't write that beforehand. This is some shyster who's written it later just to make you think that it's a prophecy that's happened. But why would Daniel mourn for three weeks? It's because he saw something that disturbed him and he wrote it down. 
And why are these details so accurate? They're accurate because God knows the details of the future. God knows the details of the future. Why? Because our God is present in the past. He's present in the present. He's present in the future. He's called the great I am because he exists in all times, in all places, equally. I don't fully get it. It blows my mind, but he does. And so he reveals that to us, and we can find comfort in knowing this truth that God cares about the details because he knows about the future. He cares about the specifics of your life. That's what we can glean from this. He knows all the details about your life. In fact, he knew all the details about your life before your life even began. I don't know if you remember when we were studying in Psalm 139. If you leave your finger there, you can flip there if you want. But in Psalm 139, uh, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He even knows our thoughts from far away. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. In verse 4, jump down to uh, verse 13. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, for I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. In verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. This is the God of Daniel, and this is our God. He knows the details. That's why he can make that prediction because he's already out there in the future and he knows those details and he knows the intricate details of your life and he knows the big picture that's going on. Not just knowing the details like someone who uh, just happens to guess the right thing or maybe he gets some special insight. No, he actually gets the whole picture because he's orchestrating what's going on. It's called God's providence. Looking at these various events, if we were to go through all of them in detail, he, he knows what's going on. It's going somewhere. He's sovereign over the details. He's all-powerful over the details, and he's present in the midst of the details. Like the story of Esther. If you remember the story of Esther, I won't go into all the particulars in it, but what happens in that story is the people of God are finding themselves uh, in the midst of people that, that don't know God. And the king uh, has an issue with his wife and kind of gets rid of her and he needs another wife. And Esther is a beautiful woman uh, amongst beautiful women. And so she's taken from her home and brought to uh, the palace place. And she goes through a beautification process for an entire year. So she has to leave her entire family. Oh, what? That would be horrible. Any of you have daughters or a younger sister, imagine like out of the blue because they're so beautiful, they are taken from you. That doesn't seem good. But we know the end of the story because uh, there was an evil individual named Haman that wanted to do away with the Jews and wanted them to be killed. But because God and his providence had Esther in the place where she was, she was chosen to be the bride of the king. And because of her influence, 
the people of God were saved. God is providential. And God is providential here. And we love stories like the book of Esther because they, they kind of, at, by the end of the book, they're wrapped up in a bow and it's like really a happy ending. Chapter 11, not so much. There's lots of hard stuff. Kingdoms rising, they become powerful, they get defeated. Kingdoms rising, they become powerful, they get defeated. All right, I, I don't like movies that end that way. But God knows all the details. God's not blind to the details. God's not surprised by what's going on. God knows the challenges that you face now and any challenge that you will face in the future. You know why sometimes we can be anxious about the future? Because when we look into the future, not that you have a crystal ball and you know exactly what's going on in the future, but for some reason, we think we can look into the future and we play all the details out in our head of what's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I seem to have a great ability to play out details that turn with a not-so-happy ending. Like, they're always hard things. It's always like, you know, my basement gets flooded or my kids die in a car accident or this and that and all this hard stuff that happens. What's going on there? I'm trying to formulate the details in the future. And what I'm missing is the reality that God is in the future. We don't need to know the details in the future. Just know that God knows the details in the future and he's already there. He's already there. So kingdoms will rise and fall, but God knows the big picture. Truth number two, expect trials and tribulation, but know God cares. I know this is a wonderful Christmas message. Expect trials and tribulation. But the King of Kings told us to expect trials and tribulation. But we find it here in the passage. Look at verse 40. It says, At the time of the end, the king of the south, south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. And then in verse 42, it says, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Trials aren't new. They're not new. Kings exercising their will is not new. Hardship for the people of God is not new, and it was going to be coming again. Remember, Daniel gets this at the end of 70 years of exile. So he's no stranger to trial and to know more is coming again, you would think would be disheartening. We can be disheartened. What's the government going to do in the future? Will rights that we have enjoyed as Christians for the last 250 years be gone. Jesus said this in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I want to read that again. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Tribulation follows those who follow Christ. It's something that we should expect. In fact, they are kind of like uh, mile markers or, or, or landmarks that we should expect. You know, a landmark, uh, there's some landmarks on the way to my in-law's church. Their church is in the middle of the country. When we go there, uh, there are some things that we've looked for ever since I started going there some 25 years ago when I was dating my wife. There were things that we looked for, whether it's a large tree or whether it's this old schoolhouse. Fortunately, the old schoolhouse is gone. Can't look for that landmark anymore. But when we see those landmarks, we know we're close. We know we're close. We know we're getting close to the church when we, when we see those landmarks and trials and tribulation because of we're followers of Jesus are simply landmarks. We know we're close. We know we're, we're in the midst of God's will when those things come. When we're persecuted for our faith. It's not some kind of punishment from God. It's actually, it's actually a sign that we are closer to the center of God's will because Jesus said this would come to those who follow him. So as we potentially look into the future or as we encounter hardship, what's, what are we going to hold on to? Not, not, well, just around the corner, it's going to stop. No, what we hold on to is that our Savior said, I have overcome the world. That's what we hold on to. Jesus cared enough to tell us about that in, in, the, in the past so that we would, could take it into the future because he, he cares enough to warn us, to warn us that these things are coming. Though they're out of our control, they're completely under his control. And in fact, when they come, he, he says they're actually blessings. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, as it says in Matthew Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Daniel is warned about what's to come. Not so that he can be afraid, but to know that God is still working. The people of God who were discouraged, who were the, the temple construction had come to a halt. They needed to hear God is still working. Even though it's hard, God knows what's coming and we can press forward. Now the warnings that we get do not always cause us to stop what's going to happen in the future. I mean, that's what a lot of great movies in the future are about, right? Oh, we go into the future, we find it's bad, so if we change our life now, we'll change it in the future, right? That's what all the... It's a Wonderful Life is about. George Bailey learns about what life could be like if he jumps into the water and he's gone. So he learns that he, if he comes back and he changes his life and his attitude, that will change everything. That's not what's being said here. Well, if you just change this right now, everything will be just really nice for you in the next few years. 
No, we, we studied 1 Peter this summer. We're studying Daniel now. We're going to study Hebrews after the new year because it's my burden and our burden as elders that we be prepared as a church for what's to come. That we put our stake in the ground and we stand firmly on the solid rock of Jesus and not on the things that move. Not on the things that will disappoint us, but on the the thing that most will endure. Because we know that, that evil is around the corner, but God cares enough to limit that evil. As we learned last week, like the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. In, but in verse 27, as it's talking about the kings, as for the two kings, their hearts, some of these kings, they shall be bent and doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. There's a time that's appointed for it to end. It's not going to keep going on indefinitely. He puts an end to it. In fact, we even learn from the book of Matthew that there's going to be hardship in the last days. In Matthew 24, 22, it says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God doesn't let evil prevail. God doesn't let evil prevail even over his saints that he knows that this challenge that could come, no, he's going to even cut short those days. And we can count on it. But I know it's sobering. We want to feel the warm fuzzies and the marshmallows on top of our hot chocolate right now in this season. But we all know as we're doing that, life right now is not the same as it was last year. I know there's lots of political talk of, well, don't, don't, don't waste a pandemic, and it's, it's referenced to uh, refer to uh, furthering policies and practices that, that don't honor the Lord. But friends, let's not waste a pandemic. Let's let it sober us to the reality that this is not our home. When we're affected by any of the number of things that annoy you about this pandemic or that exhaust you about this pandemic. Let it remind you this is not our home. In fact, the enemy wants to use some of those things just to be a distraction for us not to be prepared for the real hard things that will come when people will not think we're nice because we say that Jesus is Lord and this is God's authoritative word and we should live under it. When those around us look at us and say, you guys are fools, may we be prepared. May we be found delighting ourselves in Christ. May we be standing on the solid rock that is Jesus. So don't let these things distract you, but let them point you to more and greater eternal realities. We should expect trials and tribulation, but we need to know that God cares and God is with us. The third truth is this. Even though kingdoms rise and fall, even though we should expect trials, we 
we can endure knowing God holds the future. We can endure knowing God holds the future. We need to be strong in this season of time and resist compromise. Look at verse 32. It says, when talking about this, this king that's going to profane the temple, he says, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. And then it even goes on after the verse. When they stumble, they will receive little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. In verse 35, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made white until the end, the time of the end. There's an enemy that wants not only to distract you, he wants to take you out. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be caught up in the flesh. He wants you to delight in things that don't last. He wants to seduce you. So we resist him because we know it's coming. We know it's there. Why would we take steps to protect ourselves from the temptations of the evil one? Why would we put software on our phones so we don't look at things we shouldn't look at? Why would we memorize scripture verses that will help us when we know the enemy's going to come because he's real and he wants to take us out? But be reminded of what we learned last week in Daniel 10:19. When the angel said, "Oh man, greatly loved, fear not." Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Be reminded the Lord is with you. He will strengthen you as you follow him. When you're weak, he's strong. But be strong and resist compromise as we endure and stand firm know by knowing your God. Look at the second half of verse 32. It starts with, he'll, he'll seduce, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. It doesn't say the people who know their God after this onslaught comes, they're going to curl up like a ball in the corner. It doesn't say they're going to retreat into their homes and not interact with anyone. It doesn't say they're going to be crushed. It says they're going to stand firm and take action. But how are they going to do that? How can we stand firm and take action? It says the people who know their God. pursuit is to know our God. Why do we open the word every Sunday? Why do we open the word when we gather in our small groups? Because the people who know their God stand firm and take action. We as a church are going to study the scriptures together in the coming year, not just on Sunday mornings, but we're going to put forward a Bible reading plan. We'll learn more about that in the announcements and weeks to come, but we want to encourage everybody to read through the same Bible reading plan. Why would we want to do that? Not just to be annoying so that you have to do a plan that's not the one that you really like to do, that you always do. 
No, it's because we want to know our God. We value abiding in Christ. We know that apart from him, we can do nothing, and we want to stir one another up to love and good works. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to get into the word together. We're going to, we're going to get together in our small groups and be like, Where, how did you meet the Lord this week as I was in Matthew 2 or in Leviticus 20? We're going to stir one another up because we know we can stand firm by knowing our God. But then we were called to take action. It says take action in verse 32 and then in 33. It says, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. Again, as Christians, we don't curl up in a ball and do nothing. And I'll be honest, in this season of time, with not being able to be out, with not being able to see people's faces, with not being able to interact with the people as I normally get to do, it it's drives me nuts as somebody who's an extrovert, but it's also just equally as tempting for me to just kind of just get comfortable. Let's just wait till all this stuff passes. But it says, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. For us, we take action by telling others about Christ. That might even look different in this season of time. But it's been my prayer every day, God, show us how to interact with people to tell them about Christ. Because I don't always know what that looks like in the season, but it looks like something. Would we pray together that God would go before us? Would we be interacting with one another in our small groups about people in our neighborhoods that don't know Christ? Would we take action rather than recoiling? Oh, things are getting hard. Things are getting worse. This is really a pain. No, let's go on the offensive because we have wisdom that they need. We have revelation that they need. As we look to Christmas, as we celebrate Advent, it's because Jesus Christ has come. And if you've never trusted in him, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching from home or whether you watch some other time, he has been kind enough to warn, to warn that there's a judgment that's coming because the people of this world have not followed God and justice must happen, but he's provided a means of escape. And that's why we celebrate the coming of his son because that son didn't just come in to live a nice life and be an upstanding citizen. That son came to die so that we could live. And if you trust in him, if you ask for the forgiveness of your sins, they will be forgiven. And so if you are here this morning and that's you, I want to encourage you to speak with someone you came with today or talk with me or Wes or one of the leaders in our church before you go. And even if you don't do it here, you can do it on your bed tonight when you're by yourself. Take action and follow Christ. Now, friends, in closing, as we look into the future, be reminded, God is already there. God is already there. Daniel was assured as he as he saw events unfold in the future, it would have been challenging to see because it meant hardship. But here's the reality. Those events took place because God was already there. And God is already there in the future. 
We may live in a day that's uncertain and maybe even scary at times. But the pattern is that kingdoms will rise, they'll become strong, and they're going to be broken. But you put that pattern up against the pattern of Christ's kingdom, which we learned about back in chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, And to him who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. His kingdom doesn't fall into the plan or doesn't fall into the pattern of rising, gaining strength, and then being destroyed. His kingdom rises, already has strength because he's the king of kings, because when he spoke, this world came into existence and it has no end. That's the kingdom that we are looking to. That is why we can have hope that God knows the future. We can have hope in that future. Even though trials may come, we can look to that future to give us strength as we walk through those trials and opposition. We can endure because that kingdom will have no end. If we hold on to that truth, we will walk out what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When you have that picture, you can stand firm and take action. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that even though there are places in Scripture that when we read them, they can be confusing. Yet, Lord, as we sit and as we pray and as we meditate, Lord, you, you show us yourself through them. Rather than desiring details that you haven't revealed, you reveal so much about you. There's so much about you that you have revealed for us to delight in. And I pray, God, for us as a faith family in the coming weeks and months as we continue to study your word together, as we pray together, as we stir one another up to love and good works. Give us a greater picture, a grander picture of you. You're a God who knows the future because you're already there. Would we be in awe of you when trials come? Would we hold fast knowing that you hold us and you hold the future? Lord, would we find comfort in the midst of trial? Would we even find joy in the midst of trial? Would you be with our missionary friends as they go in the midst of of uncertainty, they go with a certain message that has the power to change a heart from stone to flesh. As people come to faith in Christ, use them and use us to the glory and praise of your great name. And all God's people said,
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.